our world. And I believe that uh, we'll see many more testimonies coming out of that in Jesus' name. Let's get into the word of God this morning. Tell your neighbor, say God is watching over you. Say he never loses control of any situation, including your situation. And in every situation, God is making a way of escape. Say there's a way of escape in that situation. Watch out for that way of escape. Watch out for that solution. Watch out for something that God is doing. In Jesus' name. The tolerance trap is what we're speaking to today as we continue the teaching series set apart. We've been discussing the biblical doctrine of sanctification, which is uh, the setting apart of something or someone for a special use. And in this case, we're talking about how God sets us apart for his own use. After salvation, we qualify for sanctification, which is to be recognized by God and to be set apart for him to use us for his glory. I think 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 or so, he said, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Uh, you have been called out of darkness. Yeah. Uh, uh, he said, his own special people said that you may pr proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Those words are, I mean, we've, we've discussed this in the first message of the series and the second message. I don't want to dwell on it too much. But those are deliberate words. Chosen, royal, special people. His own special people. That means there are everybody and there are special people. You know, once in a while, if you're living and growing, you need to do some kind of audit. You know, when you go to the stadium, there's a VIP and there's a popular side. From time to time, some of us need to audit the VIP seats of our lives and move some people from VIP into popular side and move some people from popular side to VIP. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Because it's going to help you. Yeah. Some people, you, you know, the stadium is static. The people who have been VIP for long are still the ones sitting there. Some of them are now toxic. <laughs> you take them out and put some new people. And God says, I have my own people, my chosen people. I have my chosen people. I have uh, uh, the people that I've set apart for my own use. I remember in the first message, we're talking about uh, how some of us grew up in homes where our dads, our fathers have special utensils or special uh, um, plates and cutlery that when you grab a cup, they say, this is daddy's cup. Yeah, or this is daddy's plate. It's an abomination for you to carry daddy's plate and be flexing with it. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, you can get a beating for it, especially here in Africa. Yeah. So God also has set, the Bible says, in the great house there are many vessels. Some unto honor and some unto dishonor. And if a man will purge himself of these things, he said he will be sanctified, set apart, unto honor. So there's a way I can live my life with the mindset of being set apart or sanctified for God's use, that not everything will go with me. And then I'm deliberate about posturing for God to use me. Because God cannot use just anything or everything especially at certain levels. Is somebody stay with me today? 
One of the things that diminish our capacity to live with a sanctification mindset is what our world has embraced today, which we have captured as the tolerance trap. That's a doctrine of tolerance that's pervasive in our world today. It's subtle. It's persuasive. That we have to be tolerating of one another, and that's okay. That we have to be tolerating of certain things, and that's okay. But when the doctrine of tolerance is taken so far to the point where we have to start to make room and tolerate things that are completely out of the scope of God's word, things that can draw us out of our vantage position, sanctified position, to be amongst the chosen, the elect, and the special people of God, the people who have been set apart for him, then we are going beyond the boundary of acceptable tolerance. It becomes a trap. That's a psalm, Psalm 45, and verse 6 and 7 that I would love to read in the Amplified Translation. This is a Messianic psalm. When we say Messianic psalm, we're talking about a psalm that was talking about Christ and Christians, the people who will follow after him. So not all psalms are about Christ. This, this is a psalm that, that's talking about Christ, about uh, um, the coming Christ. It says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. It says, you have loved righteousness, virtue, morality, justice, and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you above your companions with the oil of jubilation or oil of gladness. To be anointed, ladies and gentlemen, to be also be set apart, to be anointed for a purpose. Said, but it's because you did this or you position like this and that that the Lord of God has anointed you with the oil of jubilation or oil of God and set you apart from your companions. Said, you love righteousness and hate wickedness or unrighteousness. The words there also are carefully chosen. You love righteousness. You love the nature of God. You love right standing with God. You love the divine nature. And you hate. You don't condone. You don't fall to the trap of lawlessness, wickedness, or unrighteousness. This psalm, like I said, was about Christ and how he positioned and in this message, we're going to look at how Christ actually positioned in practical terms to maintain a sanctified status in God. That God could be proud of him on a regular basis. Our world is shrouded in all kinds of traps today. Traps abound everywhere. Everywhere. And the traps, are, they're no longer physical things. You know, some people think if the devil wants to attack you, he will have to come, you know, with horns, you know, on his head and his tail and he's coming and saying, I'm the devil. No. How many people have seen the devil like that before? No. But it comes in subtle ways. The Bible talks about the subtlety of the devil. He has the, uh, some ideas that he promotes 
Yeah. Uh, It gives us, you know, certain ability for preferences that grows in us, you know, that will grow in us such that before we know it, we're already open to many things that don't glorify God. And it comes, you know, small, small, subtly, you know, like that, subtly. Especially when your hunger and thirst and penchant for God's presence is beginning to reduce. Like in Psalm 84 and verse 10, it says, For a day in your court is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. This was another psalm that speaks to how somebody can be so, I don't know the word, so, so, so moved, so hungry for doing God's will. For a day in your court is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God that dwell in the tents of wickedness. And it's talking about not just the church, but the presence of God that you and I should carry and how we should position ourselves and be able to escape the traps, especially the traps of compromise, the traps of tolerance. Tolerance for what does not glorify God. I remember a story that um, one of my senior friends told me back in the day, university days. Uh, this senior friend of mine was in the University of uh, Ife, now Obafemi Law University, here in Nigeria. And he told the story how um, he was a member of the Kegites Club at the time. How many people remember Kegites? I don't know if they still exist. Yeah. Kegai's Club is a palm wine drinker's club amongst the undergraduates in the university. And it, 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 it became a national thing. I don't know whether it's global, but national. <laughs> Around the universities within this country, where, especially here in the Southwest, every university has their own Kegai's Club. There are members that may be present here today. <laughs> old members. Can I see a show of hands if you're an old member? Yes. God bless you. I love elevation people. They are very honest. Yeah. 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 Time will not permit that I will allow you to sing one of the songs that you used to sing. <laughs> one thing I, I, when I was an undergrad, uh, one thing I love about the K-Guys Club was their songs. Yes. You know, you'll be passing by and you'll see them. They're there too. You know, you'll be passing by and you'll be seeing them beating the drums and singing their songs and drinking their palm wine, you know, and all that. Yeah, if you went to a private university or you are young, you won't understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> they were singing their song and they're getting drunk gradually. And they, they, their voice become louder as they're getting drunk. And, you know, and these are undergraduates sent to school by their parents to study. But that's just perhaps their own way of catching their phone, you know, and all that. So, but this is the story. Uh, from a particular university, I don't want to, well, just in case the person is here, I don't want to say too much. From a particular university, they were going to another university for what they call weekend gyration. Hmm. Hmm. So weekend gyration is when students will go over the weekend and drink palm wine all through the weekend and sing and do all kinds of char- charade and all kinds of things. 
and then return back maybe Sunday night or Monday morning with hangover, and that's how they would go to the lecture room. So they used to have their bosses. But there was a, a Christian fellowship, and there was this brother, the Christian fellowship, their missions team were also going to the same university to join another missions team to go to a village close by so that they can win souls. This brother got to the, uh, the place too late. The boss of the fellowship had gone. But the Kegai's boss was still there. <laughs> and they were waiting for the, their drunkard friends to come in so that they can also go. But they were going to the same university. So as he was there grumbling, oh, I missed the boss and all that, one of the Kegai's came and said, ah, we're also going to that university. And you can join us. Bro, you can join us. There's no issue there. We also, we serve God. You know, it's just that, you know. <laughs> so the, 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 the guy thought about it, and he decided to join the Kegite to go to the university. And his mind was that when he gets there, he will look for the missions team, join them, and the rest will be history. But as they continue in the bus, 20 minutes into the trip, they started serving Fami. And the songs were going up, you know. The boys were gyrating from the bus. I mean, even if you pass them on the road back in the day, you would know that these are guys going somewhere. Yeah. And they were having fun. And before you know it, you know, they passed the thing. The brother would say, ah, no, in Jesus' name, I'm not there. Yeah. <laughs> to call the long story short, before they got to the other university, the, the brother was, was drunk. When he got there, he didn't even remember to ask for mission team. He generated with them weekend long. Uh, it sounds funny, but to the brother and his mission team members, it was not funny. Because he himself became a mission field by the following week. That they have to reclaim his soul back to Christ. Just because he was open to joining this bus to the next location. Sometimes, you have to be mindful of what you are open to. Yeah, you have to be mindful. You have to be mindful of what you are open to. The, the tolerance trap, sometimes, is too subtle. It's like, you know, the scripture says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You just... Open your mind up for a little, a little. Somebody is around you, cursing and using vulgar words and doing all kinds of things, and you are still there, just okay. So far, you don't bring it to me or ask me, but it's okay. We need to be mindful of what we're tolerating. So the big question this morning is, what are you tolerating? You're tolerating adultery or fornication around you to the point that people can even bring it to your space. You know there are brothers in church who have their own flat, but their friends can come and bring anybody into that same flat and commit fornication, and so far I'm not the one doing it, it's okay. That is bad tolerance. That's bad tolerance. Jesus will not do that. Can we call a spade a spade and not an agricultural implement this morning? Yeah. Jesus won't do that. That's bad tolerance. 
We live in a world that keeps pressing in on us. Pressing in on us. Flunking all kinds of ideologies and all kinds of things in our face as a church of Christ that the Bible calls the ground and the pillar of truth. What does it mean to be the ground and the pillar of truth? It means we are the custodians of the truth. John 8 and 32, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. When you know the truth, you become a custodian of the truth. The custodian of the truth. You hold it as a steward. You don't faff with it. You don't play around with it. As things come to you suddenly, you carefully and quickly dimension it and know what can put you into trouble. You know the definition of tolerance? Sympathy or indulgence for beliefs or practices uh, differing from or conflicting with one's own. That is one definition of tolerance. Another one, I mean, it's the ability or willingness to tolerate the existence of opinions or behaviors that, that, that one dislikes or disagrees with, but you just tolerate. The act of allowing something, that, that's, that's tolerating, the act of allowing something. The capacity to endure pain or hardship. So we say it's endurance, fortitude, or stamina, or tolerance. And sometimes it has its good part. But a lot of the time, when we just keep looking away, it, it, the bad part starts to show up. The doctrine of tolerance is preached by popular culture and seeks to lure Christians into compromising situations where boundary lines become blurry. Yeah. Boundary lines become blurry. Just luring us into compromising situations. Yeah. And we keep giving excuses, you know, it's just like Lot in Genesis 13. Lot used his eyes to dimension his next level and chose Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he went to Sodom. In verse 12, the Bible says he stayed near Sodom. You know he didn't enter immediately. Because something told him that, the Bible says he pitched his tent. Yeah. Near Sodom. Even as far as Sodom. Uh, I think New Living Translation or something said, the New Living Translation said near Sodom. Yeah, he, he was like, just, just staying, you know, uh, close to a place near Sodom. Some people are near Sodom right now. That's why I'm emphasizing it. Maybe they are online or here. Near Sodom. Sodom is no longer a physical location. Sodom is mindset. Sodom is operating system. Sodom is what you are agree with. Sodom is what is contrary to the word of God that is now looking so appealing to you. Yeah. And like Pastor Deborah was saying in the first service, some Christians think that uh, God is now woke. You know, young people say, you are woke. That means you are, you are current. Yeah. God is now woke and he understands what is going on right now. So it's more contemporary. We have a more contemporary God than before. Nothing can be further from the truth. God is always woke. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change his boundary lines. It's not shifting the goalposts, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. 
am the Lord, I change not, so that you, the sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Yeah? And you need to understand it like that, especially if you are engaging this popular culture, this culture of uh, post-truth and post-modernism. You know, we're living in a post-truth culture. In a post-truth culture, the, 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 the truth is relative to situation, to circumstances, to how you feel, to your preference. So everybody has their own truth. Yeah. Have you engaged young people today who are living in real post-truth post, post era? You quote the scripture, they tell you, no, it's just, it's just what you believe. Yeah. And the question I seek to ask, I mean, to, 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 to the, 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 how I postulate to such people, I still met with a group of people, you know, in, in Canada last week, and this post-truth, we sat with it. And I was telling these young people, since you were born, as the north, north, in the compass changed. If you fly quite a bit, you will understand that it is dangerous for you to be toiling with the north. Because you can pick up from London, England, coming to Nigeria, and you argue with the pilot. I have my north, you have your north. So this navigation equipment, put the north here, because this is my own north. You will find yourself in Ukraine. God forbid. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. There's only one true north. It has not changed. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it has not changed. It's the same today, yesterday, and forever. <laughs> Glory be to Jesus. And the church of the living God, Christians are supposed to uphold the truth, having a mindset of a steward for the truth. So, you can't have an environment around you where anything goes. Post-truth is one of the most dangerous things that has happened to this generation. That's why many people are now more open to more things. Yeah. When somebody stood up, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is not in circumstances. The truth is not in ideology. The truth is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the values that he embodies, and how we embrace those values, and that's what guarantees a good hand for us. The north or the south is not subjected to your preference or your feeling. You can wake up tomorrow and decide your own north. It does not change the true north. You just try to do something vital with that information. That's what, when you will know that you are dead wrong. Yeah. And there are vital things in this world that has been layered on the foundation of the truth. Like, for instance, what I just said about flying. The navigational equipment does not respond to your emotion. There's only one true north. And that's why planes are not colliding in the air. Are you still with me today? So we don't live by preference or feelings. We live by principles. And some of these principles must not be compromised in the face of tolerance. Rather, we must uphold the truth while tolerating what is acceptable. Galatians 5 and verse 19 
Amplified version, it said a little leaven, a slight inclination to error. A slight inclination to error. A few false teachers leavens the old badge. It perverts the concept of faith and misleads the church. And by the church, it means all of us. Many Christians test the boundary of God's instruction in the nature, I mean, in the name of tolerance or not isolating ourselves from the world. But what we refuse to understand is that there's a difference between not sinning and promoting righteousness. Can I explain that? There's a difference between not sinning and promoting righteousness. So, uh, I can have an environment around me where I'm not sinning, but yet I'm not promoting righteousness. Yeah. But I'm supposed to be a custodian of God's truth. So I can't, my environment shouldn't be like that ordinarily. I must stand for what the will of God is and what the truth of God's word is. Glory be to Jesus. So we are called to conform, I mean, we are, we are not called to conform to this word, but to shine in the midst of darkness. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are not called to conform to this word, but to shine in the midst of darkness. The Bible talks about the light that shines in a dark place, and darkness cannot comprehend it in John chapter 1. And it was talking about Christ and those of us who will come uh, through him. Let's look at, as I start to tidy this up, the Jesus' model for avoiding tolerance. The Jesus' model for avoiding tolerance. You know, there's, there's something I read recently that really... Uh, especially as we look at the Jesus' model for avoiding tolerance. Uh, uh, Jesus had this, this way of openly rebuking hypocrites and unrepentant people whose sinful ways were cloaked with religion. I know it's my second point there. I'll go back to the first one. Go to the second point first. The fact that Jesus had a way of openly rebuking I need time to, to, to work on this. That's why I'm, I'm skipping through. Uh, he openly rebuked hypocrites and unrepentant people whose sinful ways were clothed with religion. In Matthew chapter 16, something happened there that should signal every believer about how we react within our environment to, you know, uh, to, to all this foreign tolerance. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, around verse 15 or 14. Can you search it and put it up for me? Ask his disciples, who do men say that I am? And in verse 14, the Bible says, some said John the Baptist, some said Elijah, some said, others said Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And uh, Simon Peter then spoke out and answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And also, he said, uh, and also uh, to you that you are, I, I said to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gate of heaven shall not prevail against another. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And Jesus was just saying all kinds of things and following through to the fact that Peter was in the spirit. Now, this same Peter, this same Peter that was in the spirit, <laughs> you know what happened next? What happened next 
was that by the time we get to verse 20 or 21, uh, 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 verse, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and to be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside. That same Peter now took him aside and began to rebuke him. New Living Translation says reprimand him. Give me New Living Translation. He began to reprimand him. Far be it from you, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Reprimand him saying such things. Uh, he said, for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, that this will happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Many times in our lives, we will even encounter people who may seem to, who should know, or who are close. Sometimes the devil sponsors people. Here, Peter was on a uh, purchase or Uber. The devil used as Uber, you know, or something like that. Because it was okay before now. All of a sudden, the devil borrowed him. Jesus was able to discern it. How can somebody who was so in the spirit to have told you that you are the Messiah, who was in sync with the will of God, all of a sudden, became a trap? Jesus said, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing, and this is the reason. He said, because you are seeing things merely from human point of view, not from God's point of view. When people start to dimension your life and see things, sinful things, things that are outside of God's world, see things from just merely human point of view. Ah, what is it? What is it? Everybody's doing it. If you, if you, if you shack these things small, you'll just be more bold. You know what this one that you go for board meeting and you're just looking like a moron? You just, just do small. When you get there like this, your presentation will be on fire. Yeah. And then you, you, or you met somebody who was just on fire doing everything and say, ah, what's up? I say, ah, is this smart thing now? You just, yeah. I don't have to take much. You know some people, I mean, I, I've told all kinds of stories. Some from my friends in this church who will go to places and see things. Like the story I told a, a while ago of a friend of mine who, who went on, uh, on a trip to a particular country, official trip. And then they finished the meeting, the presentation and all that. Uh, and then they just said, oh, you know, we want to appreciate all of you for coming and uh, we'll entertain you. And entertainment, babes. So as you're just going to your room, just branch here and pick one and go. But my friend was like, hey, I've seen what my husband has not seen before today. <laughs> and that's where you need accountability partners. But this one of anything goes, everybody's doing it, let's do it. You cannot live a sanctified life that way. You can't be set apart for God to use you that way. Everybody's watching it. Let's watch it. You know, today, especially with social media, Pastor people was saying in the first service how some things will just break on social media. They say, oh, one popular uh, actor or, or musician or whatever, something happened, uh, caught in a sex scandal, and the video is everywhere. And you say Christians too. Watching the video, I said, hey. So he did that. Ah, and this is not good, though. And then you have watched it 10 times. And this is not good, though. It's not good, though. And you watch it again. 
Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not behold iniquity. And if people will release the video, you are tacitly encouraging them by adding to the views as you are watching it too. They are trying to bring somebody down, destroy somebody's life. You too, you join them and be watching it 10 times, 20 times. They now say it has 1 million views. Your own is 50 out of it. You're supposed to tell yourself, my eyes will not be old evil. I'm not seeing that. It does not have anything to my life. It has no eternal consequence or eternal relevance to me. Our world is awashed with all kinds of traps, all kinds of things that just lure Christians into doing what we should not do, but it's acceptable to popular culture. And right there, we're going down the drain in the name of tolerance. All kinds of things, gender issues, sexuality issues, all kinds of things. People will curse God beside you and use all kinds of vulgar words. And you're smiling, sheepishly. But you're supposed to say, no, no, sorry. That's not acceptable around here. This is my space. This is my space. I mean, ladies, how can you have friends? All your friends are doing Aristo. And you're not saying anything. Very soon, they will Aristo you. You join them sincerely. Jesus did not do that. He rebuked Peter sharply. This is not the voice of God, it's the voice of Satan. Get behind me, Satan. It's better we fight then and resolve later our friendship than for people not to know what you stand for because you want to tolerate them. I would rather raise the banner of Christ high and we fight if we have to fight. We will resolve it later. But from that point, you know what I stand for. And you know what I will take and what I will not take. Glory be to Jesus. All kinds of compromises going on around town just because of the tolerance trap. Jesus did not behave like that. My first point here, Jesus loved everyone without exception. So he never hated anyone. Yeah, he never hated anyone. They asked him in, in, in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, teacher, which is the greatest of the commandments. He said, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Uh, this is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two commandments hang the law and the prophet. That was the creed of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all that. But see, in loving people is different from loving the world. The world is not people. It's not your friend. The world is the operating system that destroys lives. Is somebody sit with me today? Glory be to Jesus. That's what we need to be careful about. You know, so, there's a way we can teach this kind of message. Is you, you think that pastor is saying, don't relate with unbelievers. Because some of them are like that, and they will always behave like that. You know there are some people that they respect your space, they respect your faith. When they come around you, they behave themselves. They will even tell you, ah, John is here, we can't speak like that. Yeah, when he's gone, then we can speak. And you don't know what that is doing to them. Yeah. What it's doing to them is that it's also curtailing some of their own excesses. They are getting to think and rethink their lives. I remember in my postgraduate class in the University of Lagos, I had an experience. I may have one or two colleagues here who may bear witness. 
I studied uh, uh, for a master's degree in University of Lagos many years ago. And I've told the story before. We were to take a particular course. That course, if you fail it, you cannot graduate. I still remember. Jurisprudence, general principles of jurisprudence international or something like that. Yeah. I think it's a five-unit course. It's the main course because this was master's degree in international law and diplomacy. I remember the morning of that exam like no other. It's a kind of exam, uh, how many hours do we use to write the exam? I can't remember whether it was six or eight hours. Yeah, they tell you, if you write less than 25 full scarf sheets, you are failed. It's a writing exam, just be writing. Yeah. Just be writing, you just be writing. The more you write, the more your chance of passing. Yes. So it's the kind of exam that you can go to the toilet and come back. You can even go and eat and come back. When your hand is cleaning you, you drop the pen and you'll be stretching it and you can walk around and continue. So people entered with trepidation. Even people who already have their LLM, master's degree in law, they still fall. And I don't want to mention the name of the professor, but the professor, if you see the professor, you too, you'll be afraid. That morning, as we were sitting down preparing for this exam, they brought somebody, one of the guys worked something. They got the paper. We were in the classroom to move into the, 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 the exam hall and we're studying, and they brought the paper. And I saw everybody gathering like this over the paper. And I carried my bag and everything, and I went to another room, and I sat there. I was the only one there. Everybody is camping around the paper. With, well, they said, okay, it's time for the exam. I knew they already have the paper. They entered. The people who have the paper are still sitting in rings. They are not even confident with what they are seeing. They are still passing things. To cut a long story short, God gave me the grace not to participate there. When we finished that exam, three people came to meet me to ask me about how they can be saved. One came to meet me to ask me for prayer for his marriage. He said, if you can be this state, then God will answer your prayer. My marriage is about to break down. <laughs> they didn't even know I was a pastor. So a conviction just came into their heart that this person is different. And if you can, if you can escape the kind of temptation, then there's something about you. They were asking me questions. I cannot forget that experience. Now I feel driving home from school that day that God must be proud of me. And I don't mean to say that, to say that I've never fallen into any trap before. I'm just saying that it is possible when you lean on grace for God to help you not to fall because he's able to make you stand. Say amen, somebody. And especially when you sit from afar and you make up your mind on time. Sit down one. Can I tell you the truth? How I escaped it was because I carried my book immediately. I went to another room. If you stay there, after a while you look. <laughs> Something will be telling you, help yourself. Everyone help those who help themselves. Why will you be too righteous and destroy this, this you know, after this exam? And by the way, the exam itself, there's nothing that guarantees that anybody will pass. It's an open, open book exam. You know, you just continue to write. 
when you write, 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 the professor knows what he's looking for. There's a record of people who fail the course. It's high. And the people don't graduate just because of that particular one. So I had enough reason to rethink. But the grace to move at the right time. That's it. Because the moment you take the right step at the right time, like Jesus rebuked Peter sharply once, the rest, everything just comes down. Young people in relationships, listen to me. It's possible to practice fidelity as singles. Understanding that God wants to use you. There are people who come into counseling as a relationship coach who still allude to the fact that PG, if we have done some things differently in our single life, we will have had more trust in our relationship now. I know what my wife did with me when both of us are supposed to be Christians and we were not married. So when I see her hanging around those boys in our office today, I can't trust her because of all the kinds of things we also did together. If she can placate her conscience then, I'm not sure what she's doing. So because of that, that lack of trust is destroying that relationship, eating at the core of it. You can escape that by just defining what you have now. If it's a Christian relationship, if the answer is yes, let's do it this way. If it's not a Christian relationship, you can do anything we like. So you can either say it's a Christian relationship or it's not. What I tell people is that if you have agreed to a Christian relationship, do it by the Bible. Uphold the truth. And make yourself accountable. And let other people around you know that this is what we're doing. This is not that type of relationship. This is this type of relationship. Say amen, somebody. So, Jesus drew very clear boundaries around what is acceptable to God and what isn't acceptable to God. Clear boundaries. So, Jesus had many situations where he had to uh, confront certain things. Yeah, he had to confront certain things. Like when he confronted the woman that was caught in adultery. He created an opportunity for the woman not to be condemned but at the end of the day, he still told the woman. That's John 8, verse 10 and 11. Woman, where are your accusers? I said, I can't find them. All of them are gone. Yeah. Has no one condemned you? And verse 11, can you give me verse 11? It says, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's different from just go and do as you like. Because many of us around us, we create a tolerance zone that blows the line. There's a difference between where are your accusers? No one. No one. Okay, go. And if you find another man that winks at you next week, do, do the same. You don't even have to say it. Your body language is already saying it, that you tolerate it. Jesus said, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. And you see that repeatedly. Yeah. The woman at Simon's house in Luke chapter 7, when you read from verse 36 down to 50, uh, the woman at uh, 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 the Pharisee, the Bible says, invited Jesus to his house, a Pharisee by the name of Simon. Jesus said, and as he was sitting there, a woman, a sinner, among other translations we call her a prostitute, came and poured the oil. It's different from the alabaster box woman. This is a different one. And you know, kiss Jesus' feet, wipe it, and all that, to the point that the people there were saying, this 
this man is not a prophet. If he was really a prophet, you should know that this woman is a sinner. She's a prostitute and she's doing all this around him. And Jesus confronted him and called Simon and spoke to him. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I have something to say to you. He said, teacher, say it. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, you go on. He said, and Jesus said to him, no, go on, go on, go on. Verse 41, somebody. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One hold 500 dinar and the other 50. Let me not waste time. What Jesus was saying was that he told them, uh, he that, has, that is forgiven much because of the, the debt of the bad behavior, he said, will, will be much more grateful. He said, this woman has been forgiven much. That's why she was able to do this. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Jesus faced the woman. And then spoke to her. Can you, can you give me um, what verse is that? About verse 49 or 50, yes. Verse 49, the Bible says, uh, verse 48, it said, Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven you. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is he to even forgive sin? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The womb, the, Jesus identified the fact that there's sin here. That's the point I was trying to make. Forgive the sin before dis- dismissing the woman. For some of us, when people come around us, when they shower us with some kind of love or gift or material things, when somebody becomes your benefactor, you know, one of the dangers that people like us pastors face is to have parishioners who are wealthy and who can shower you and then they can be misbehave anyhow. And the pastor cannot open his mouth to say, Oga, stop sinning. Stop bad behavior. This is not good. This is not okay. You can't be talking to your wife like that. Yeah. I know God has helped you. You have money. Money is not everything. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul or loses his family? You know, for me, if you don't want to hear that, don't come around me. Yeah. Because we have to confront the truth. I don't care how blessed you are, materially speaking. The principles of God's word, we must uphold it. Yeah, we must uphold it. I can't see, we can't see sin and keep it. That's not the order of Jesus. That's not the order of Jesus. Lastly today, lastly today, I'll close on this one. Lastly today. First John 2, verse 15, 16 and 17. Just to help somebody understand this. You have friends who may not know Christ, who may speak anyhow, behave anyhow, do anything. God is not expecting you to chase them away from your life. He expects you to create the right boundaries and point their attention to things that are against the word of God that that will not move their life forward. So, the Bible says here, it says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, look at what he said we should not love. Not the human beings, but these things. Verse 16, quickly. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of this world. And it says, this world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the same God saying, do not love the world. It means he's saying something to us. God loves human beings. 
But the operating system of this world, it detests it. Those subtle things, those traps. No, God says, say no to that. The loss of the heart, the loss of the flesh, the pride of life. Those are the things we are contending with. Secular humanism, you know, loss of the flesh, elevating humanity above God. And some of us have many people around us who behave like that. Somebody's getting resolved, but they're not getting resolved based on God's word. You are a Christian. You operate a different economy. The ideology about money is different from yours. Yours is guided by the scriptures. If you just say because they have results and they have means, you listen and take in everything, before you know it, you have been trapped. And sometimes, you only need to do it once. And they have something to hold you. When you don't want to do another thing, you say, but you know, you know this one. So if there's somebody under the influence of my voice today, you know you have already fallen into a trap. Can I encourage you? You can't be in a hole and keep digging. Come out of it. Come out of it. Remember that God has sanctified and set you apart for his goodness. And you have to live true to it. So come out of that hole. Come out of that hole. Ask yourself certain questions. What have you been tolerating that you must address? Somebody listen to me now, a young person, you're living in the same flat with somebody who is doing all the wrong things. And this thing is seeping into your heart gradually. It's time for you to pray. Lord, take me out of this place because of your glory in my life. And God will make a way. Pastor David told us in the first service how he was living in a flat with somebody in Delta State. And the guy and his friends would bring girls into the house. They would do every, anything. They would even pass, attempt to pass a babe to him too. And he would abandon the devil. And then one night he said he got to it. He had to pray. Lord, take me out of this place. This is getting my... I'm, I'm stretched. After now, I cannot promise that I won't misbehave. And said the next day or the next Monday, that was over a weekend, he got to the office and they just told him, you have been transferred offshore. So, uh-huh. And from there, after you finish there, you can come back to this house. You know, you can come back to Lagos. So you don't have to, you don't need a place to stay here in Niger Delta again. And that was the end of it. Yeah. Lift your two hands to Jesus today. Say, Father, open my eyes to see every trap of the devil around my life. I declare today that I've escaped in the name of Jesus. I will not permit whatever is not in line with your word around my life. Say, Father, set me apart for your use. I want my life to bring glory to you all the days of my life. I receive grace today to live a sanctified life. I have been set apart for the use of Jehovah in my family, in my industry, in my business. Jesus will be glorified. Jesus will be glorified. Jesus will be glorified. Jesus will be glorified. Lift those two hands to him and just pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in understanding. I want you to, in your own words, speak to God this morning. Speak to God in your own words today. Speak to God in your own words. Everyone online, please do the same. Speak to God in your own words. And say, Father, I dedicate myself to you afresh today. 
I receive grace to escape every trap of the enemy. I receive grace to be upfront about my faith. I receive grace to walk out of traps. I know somebody God brought you into this church today, whether in person or online, because he wants you to hear this. Every boundary line that has become blurry as you go into this week, we're straightening them out. We're drawing those lines again. Because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Thank you, everlasting Father. Thank you, everlasting. Somebody pray, 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 pray some more today. Pray some more. One more minute. Just, just speak to God in your own words. And if you can't find a word, just pray in the Holy Ghost if you, if you have the prayer language of the Spirit. God is doing something new in your life. God is doing something new in your life. He wants you to be more aware of the things that trap our souls. And it's not the author of confusion. It's not the author of those traps. Those traps are from the devil. And you must be awake to righteousness and sin not. And touch not the unclean things. That's what the scripture says. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. We give you glory and we give you praise. In the precious name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for everyone who had influence of this service today. Everyone right here in the room, everyone online. We receive grace upon your sons and daughters to do your will and to live the set apart, the, 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 the sanctified life in the name of Jesus. We break the hold of snares of the devil. We break the hold of traps. The Bible says in vain is, the, is the, the trap set, the snare set for our feet. We decree and declare today that as we go into this new week, somebody is walking into a newness of life in the name of Jesus. Somebody whose soul has been trapped on social media, we declare you free in the name of Jesus. Anyone trapped in ungodly relationships with ungodly benefactors, we decree today, the snare is broken and you have escaped. In the name of Jesus Christ, everyone was snared uh, by any ungodly habits brought to you by influence of others. We receive grace upon you today to walk away from that habit. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we decree that the hold of addiction is broken. In the name of the Lord Jesus, somebody receives to submit to God afresh for today. We break the hold of that stop spirit. We command you, go in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. Father, we bless your name. Father, we bless your name. Father, we bless your name. I hear my spirit. The son here, the devil trapped you because of your excuses. Specifically, let me speak to this one that the Holy Spirit has brought to my mind. Somebody, right now, you are either in adultery or you're about to commit it just because you have the excuse of my spouse did it before or my spouse is doing it. God said, I'm not going to judge you based on the mistake of your spouse. I'm only going to relate with you based on my relationship with you. And I'm speaking to you right now, whether you are here live or you are online, hear the word of the Lord. Be mindful of the excuses you accept. Everybody is doing it at work. So I too put my hand into money that doesn't belong to me. 
Be mindful of the excuses that you embrace. Because an excuse can become a trap. I don't know who you are, but God is speaking to you right now. As you're going through this new week, make amends, make a correction. And God will give you grace to escape that trap. Your soul has escaped like a bird in the name of Jesus. That snare is broken and your soul has escaped in the name of Jesus. See, we'll all let's bow. Can I pray for somebody in this service today who may be saying, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior. I want to give my life to Christ. Or somebody who said, I said that prayer before, but I backslid into sin. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. There's a wonderful atmosphere. Grace is available here. Grace for salvation is available here. And I want to encourage you right now. If you want to say that prayer with me, you're right in the room or you're online. Can I ask that you lift your right hand above your head? I'm going to say a prayer with you. Just remain where you are, but I'm going to say a prayer with you. Lift your right hand above your head. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. I know that the kind of life I'm living in, Jesus should come right now. I know here, well done, good and servant. I want to make an amen. I want to make a turnaround today. And I want to pray for you right now. If you're right in the room, I want you to lift your right hand above your head. It's just a symbol of your surrender to God today. Not to man, not to the pastor, but to God, who is the God of all flesh, Father of all spirit, the judge of all. Yeah. I, I want you to lift your hand and say, Jesus, I'm submitting to you today. Afresh. If you are online, go to the chat room or comment and let us know I'm giving my life to Jesus or I'm rededicating my life to Jesus. I'm rededicating my life to Jesus. I'm giving my life to Jesus. If your hand is up and you are right here, whether in the main floor, under the gallery, or in the gallery, can you please stand where you are and say this prayer with me? Stand where you are and say this prayer with me right now. Just stand. Thank you for standing. Just stand where you are and say this prayer with me. Thank you for standing. Thank you for standing. Stand. Under the gallery, on the gallery, on the main floor, just stand where you are. Just stand. You're standing for Jesus. You're not standing for man. I don't want you to care about who is here, who is looking, who is not looking. This is a personal adventure between you and your maker. Be bold to stand and say yes to Jesus today. Your life will never be the same again. God will start something new in your life. He will fill you with the spirit from this time forward. You will never be the same again. If you're standing, or if you're online and you're saying this prayer with me, uh, uh, and you drop a comment, or, or in the chat or comment, I want you to say this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I acknowledge that I've sinned against you. I ask that you forgive me my sins and that you cleanse me from every unrighteousness. I accept you today as my Lord and my personal Savior. I willingly, completely dedicate my life to you. Take my life and let it be consecrated to you. Fill my heart with your spirit and give me a new beginning from this moment forward. I accept your death on the cross of Calvary as a payment for sin. So I claim that I'm free from guilt and condemnation. My heart is open to live the rest of my life to you, for you. Thank you for the grace that you have given from this moment forward. I pledge my life to you completely and totally. Thank you for accepting me in Jesus' name. If you just said a prayer with me, uh, ministers are around you. They just want to get your attention. If you're in the room, just for about five minutes and you'll be back. 